Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello, and welcome to No More Mondays. I'm your host, Angie Callen. Corporate culture is a hot topic in all markets today. From DEI initiatives to workplace safety and mental health, leaders have a lot to think about when building teams and creating an environment where people want to work and can thrive. I applaud today's guests for doing just that. Jennifer Tesher not only grew a 70-person strong nonprofit from the ground up, but she has done it while keeping people front of mind. Her own sabbatical became the catalyst to how she has shaped the corporate culture of financial health networks while also making some big waves in national financial policy. Here to share with us how she builds healthy teams who support her vision and drive the mission to improve financial health for all. Help me welcome to the show, Jennifer Tesher. Jennifer, welcome to No More Mondays. Thanks for having me, Angie. So I want to kick things off because there's, we were kind of talking before the show, there's a lot of different like directions we could take this. So I'm excited to just see where Jennifer and I go together today. But um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your work at Financial Health Networks and, and kind of what you're helping to do through this organization that you founded. Yeah, absolutely. So the Financial Health Network is, it'll be 20 years old uh, next year. Pretty crazy. Congratulations. Uh, and Thank you. Our, our mission is to promote financial health for all, improve financial health for all. And we do that by working with companies and organizations to help them understand the financial health challenges of their customers, their employees, their communities, and to help them develop and deliver solutions to improve it in ways that are also going to be beneficial for those companies' bottom lines. So how did you identify the need for this kind of work? Because the or it's, an, it's a nonprofit organization. You founded it, have grown it from the ground up over the last 20 years. I'm curious if you can rewind uh, back to the early days. What inspired you to get into this type of work and like what triggered the like, oh man, there's a need for this? Yeah. So um, I'm going to try to condense a long story and to make it podcast sized. Um, I am a former journalist. Um, I have undergraduate and graduate degrees in journalism. I worked at the Charlotte Observer. Like this is the last thing on earth I imagined I would be doing. And I would say that underneath my early desire to be a journalist is my uh, curiosity and my uh, question ask. I'm a, I'm a questioner. I want to know why. Uh, not just any question. Why is generally my question. Why is it this way? Um, and I generally ask the why question in the service of justice. Why are things this way? Uh, and why does why are some people better off than others? And that was a really motivating idea for me when I went into journalism and 20 years ago. You know, journalism looked a lot different than it does today. Yes, it does. It was still, you know, you know, little guy uh, fighting against, you know, power. And print newspapers. And print that's and that's what I did, right? So that's really what drew me to journalism. And then 
I went to get a graduate degree in public policy and decided pretty shortly thereafter that I didn't just want to write about the issues. I wanted to do something about them, but I had never considered doing anything else. I did a bunch of jobs and internships around town, et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up at the nation's first community development bank called ShoreBank. And ShoreBank doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, it was the first institution to help demonstrate this idea that a company, a for-profit company, could make money and do good at the same time. So it wasn't like they were making money over here, making loans and stuff, and then over here they were like donating it to charity. No, the bank was making loans and investments in predominantly African-American communities uh, that had suffered from white flight and had been de-invested and was demonstrating that business could be done in these communities safely, uh, uh, responsibly, um, that would be good for that community and good for the borrowers and good for the bank. I didn't know anything about banking. I'd never considered working at a bank, uh, but Shorebank was so much more than just a bank. And that idea that balancing mission and margin every day, like that, that was super interesting to me intellectually. And so there's another eight years that pass where I do a variety of things at the bank. Um, and the thing I was always really interested in were people who either did not have a bank account or who were making use of check cashers and payday lenders and other sorts of um, non-bank entities. And I got approached by the Ford Foundation to ultimately create what is now, um, what was at the time the Center for Financial Services Innovation and what is now known as the Financial Health Network. So there's been quite an evolution in my own career. And then what I haven't talked about yet, but won't because I've been talking for too long, is the evolution from uh, CFSI uh, and financial innovation to uh, now a focus on financial health. Well, don't worry, because I'm going to ask about that, actually. So you're a step ahead of me. But there's a couple things you mentioned just in your own journey that I want to I want to point out and would love you to just speak to a little bit more sure. as, as we you know as I think about who's listening out there people who are you know trying to figure out how to get into a more purposeful or more enjoyable career maybe start businesses or something along those lines and what I think is really interesting about you is whoever knew when you studied and even worked as a journalist that this is where you would end up but that foundation definitely impacts how you conduct business. Um, and so I, totally. the message I want to send is like, don't ever assume where you start is where you're going to go and where you're going to land. However, it, just because it might seem irrelevant, it's, it's not. And I would, I would just, that's a, a bunch of like little random thoughts. That I'd love for you to just kind of dig into a little bit and speak to. Totally. You know, I, um, I mentor students at, the policy school at University of Chicago at the Harris School. And I think I'm on my fifth or sixth student. And every student wants to know, what's the right first job that I should take? And boy, that first job, it's so, so important because, oh my God, if I pick wrong, like I'm stuck on some track. And I always am amused, be, be, not only because I like obviously uh, blew past that, but because the world, it makes it so much easier to change careers constantly in a way that wasn't true. Especially now than it was 20 years ago. Right. That's what I'm saying. I tell new grads all the time. You're not signing a death sentence. You just have to get started. 
Exactly. Like, and no one looks at your resume twice if you every couple of years have done something different. That wouldn't have been cool 20 years ago, right? So um, I, I put a lot less stock, a lot less faith in the here is the perfect path or there even is a path. Um, and it, it doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want and think that you're going to you know, be able to climb the ladder. You, you have to be realistic. But I think that there is a lot of room to explore and to be thinking about what are the what are the key hard skills that I can gain along the way that might then be useful in other arenas. I say this a lot on the show. I think it's good to have a general wayfinding point that you're working towards. For instance, you know, I want to grow my career in this type of way. But there's a lot of different solutions to meet those I'm going to say general goals. And if you've got a super tunnel visioned goal in mind, like Jennifer 20 years ago, or when you started journalism, if you just said, I want to be the editor in chief of a magazine and you had hard nosed your way towards that goal, you would have completely missed the opportunity to partner with Ford to create an organization that is now 20 years old and and 70 staff strong, which is exactly what I kind of want to talk about. But that's why if you have a tunnel vision goal, you might miss a door that opens on the on the way that progresses that goal in a way you didn't know. And that's exactly what you kind of embraced early on in your career. That's true. Now, I would say I embraced it, not even realizing that I was um, right. It's one of the, the most frustrating things about getting older is that on the one hand, you gain more experience, more wisdom, more confidence. But on the other hand, like you, you wish you had those things earlier, but that's just not how it works, right? That's not how life works. So I sometimes am frustrated by that, but I'm, I'm glad it's turned out okay so far. So talk to me a little bit more about the evolution of what is now Financial Health Network and what it's been like to grow and evolve that organization into, I mean, it's a 70 person nonprofit is a decent sized nonprofit, everybody. That is not a tiny little operation. It's significant. So tell me about that experience over the last 20 years since it was first founded. So we were founded originally to answer the question of how can technological change in financial services benefit those who need it the most? So this was 2004. So let's think about what was going on in 2004. That was the year that Google went public. That was the year that Mark Zuckerberg invented the Facebook in his dorm. Uh, it's the year that iTunes, I think, sold its billionth song, right? So this, this, this phone thing that we all have in our hands or right next to us um, didn't exist yet. Uh, but already, because of the internet um, and other technologies, uh, it was becoming clear that there was an opportunity to reach and serve lower income people with financial services in a way that had been hard uh, up until then from a cost perspective. Uh, and so that's kind of where we started. And before there was this thing called FinTech, um, we were identifying innovators who were thinking about new and different ways of using technology to reach and serve different people. So our focus back then was really on be on and underbanked. Uh, we helped to put those ideas and those populations on the map. We did some of the most formative early research around those populations. Um, uh, we were we made some of the earliest investments in innovators in that arena, and then we brought together very large financial services companies uh, who wanted to sort of work on this issue. 
um, in their own businesses. And then something happened. Well, actually, a few things happened. The first is that the iPhone was invented in 2007. And so you could say we had been focused on basic access to financial services. And, you know, this device uh, kind of made access ubiquitous, not overnight yeah. and not exactly. But, you know, that was going to be a big solution to the problem. Then the, the second thing that happened was the financial crisis. I had a feeling that was second. I had a feeling that was coming into play here. Yeah. May, you know, maybe those financial products and services that we um, that we thought were so good for people, you know, maybe they weren't. And then the third thing was the Great Recession, when we all collectively realized that uh, this was not just a, a poor person problem, an unbanked problem. This is like millions of Americans, the majority actually of Americans that were struggling financially. And we missed it. We missed it because we were gathering the wrong data and because it had been 30 years in the making. And, and so it was really at that point that we made the pivot uh, to thinking more broadly about financial health. I think I think it's really interesting that you were adaptable to I'm going to say market conditions and societal changes that were in real time not only impacting that target market but helping you understand what kind of impacts those changes have. And I was just kind of anecdotally, I graduated from college in 2003. So it was mm. we were a little shaky, we were a little shaky economically at that point, but I remember as an, an independent adult, these milestones happening to me and, and when all of a sudden, okay, technology is booming. I'm now at a college and I get Facebook, like all these different things and tuning into how those give us different access and, and change our needs and also reveal the needs that we have, like feels very relevant to what I can remember at the time. And so I'm curious for you how you've seen that kind of real-time evolution of the business that aligned with whatever changes were coming at you? Like, how has that helped you impact in this space? Yeah. So I think um, it is really difficult to build a plane while you're flying it, right? Everyone says that. And I think one of the key ideas that I've used in sort of building and leading the organization is that we really should be a learning organization. Because in a way, we have been putting forth ideas and um, I will call them hypotheses that were totally new, that we were inventing as we were going. And we were really challenging people to think differently. So yes, we wanted them to do differently, but first we had to get them to think differently. Uh, this is where my journalism training comes in, right? Um, I ask really good questions. I know a lot. I know a little bit about a lot of things. It all comes full circle, everybody. <laughs> exactly. Why is it this way, right? And so I think it's really important um, to be humble in what you do know and then in what you don't know and be uh, willing and ready to, to change, to pivot, to evolve as you learn from the work that you're doing. And so when we pivoted the organization and then ultimately renamed it, Certainly, we spent a lot of time thinking about how to communicate that and how will our existing stakeholders feel about that. And But the fact is, we had been bringing people along the whole way with us. So I, I think there were a lot of people out there who said, wow, that was really brave of you for pivoting. Because I think for some people, it suggests, oh, maybe what we were doing before was incorrect. Or, uh, you know, I think what we were doing in the beginning was the right thing at the time. And as we learned more right? It was time to 
move on. Um, and so as an example, you know, the un and underbanked was a really big area of focus for us. And today, because of our work, the FDIC became mandated by Congress to survey the un and underbanked every two years. And as a result of that, the FDIC took it on to really do the work to help dramatically reduce the percentage of the unbanked in this country. And it is down from a high of around 8%. Now we're down to less than 5% in the country, but it's been 20 years in the making, right? So these, that's the other thing that, that is important is when you're doing, when you're trying to make change at this magnitude, changing the way people think and the ideas that underpin them, it's a really long game, a really long game. And so, you know, the other trick is how do you keep staff, funders, others, you know, how do you keep them energized? Um, and how do you help them see the small wins along the way so that they can stay with what is a very long game? Because there's this idea of patience, like systemic change does not happen overnight. And even at a very kind of little funny anecdotal micro level, that applies to to you if you're trying to change something that's significant in your life. Trying to change careers doesn't happen overnight. Trying to change your financial health, since that is kind of a little bit totally. of a common theme we're talking about, doesn't happen overnight. But I, I imagine for you, it has got to be incredibly rewarding to look back and say, the 20 years has been worth it because I have a specific metric that shows that 20 years has been worth it. Yeah. You know, we just had our all staff, we brought our staff all together last week in Chicago. And because we're gearing up for our 20th anniversary and we're now uh, working on a strategic plan for the next chapter, you know, it's time to really think about how to talk about the last 20 years and the change that's happened. And that's not an easy thing to summarize 20 years of impact in a way that feels tangible and meaningful, but also captures the full sweep. Um, and especially these last 20 years, think about how much the world has changed. You were just reflecting on that a little bit. Oh my gosh. Um, and I, maybe we all think that in every era, but I don't know. I think this era in particular has been. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm on, I'm on the same page with you because I think, and, and I actually think that there's some, some statistical proof that, you know, technology has evolved society at a much more rapid pace than, you know, F Ford's. Uh, original car did, for instance, and that's purely because of the the access we all have to the information. And I and one of the things I was thinking as you were kind of talking about pivoting and and being nimble and adapting to what's happening real time, I think just in general that's a really great piece of advice for anybody out there who is in business to think about, because if you're, again, it comes back to that like tunnel visioned goal. If you are so hard nosed against a goal, you may a miss opportunity, but you also may fail to keep up with the times in a way that's critical to the business evolving, to meet the need, to be able to have that systemic change or whatever impact you're trying to create. It's true. You know, it's, I feel like everything in life is a balance, right? And so there's a balance between being clear about what your near term or midterm goal is and at the same time, being aware, open, taking in information about the environment so that as circumstances may change in the environment, you have the opportunity to go back to those plans and say, hmm, might I need to make a, a change? And it doesn't need to be a massive pivot. Maybe it's a small thing, but the world moves 
so fast right now that if you're not doing that, like, you know, it's kind of like evolve or die. I also think that the idea of how incremental change can add up. Inching yourself forward eventually gets you a foot and then feet, whereas trying to go five feet all at once may not actually happen. And so being open to how how that progress looks, the speed it goes is all very important. And you're not not making progress if you're inching yourself forward. (laughs) That's true. I I would say that, you know, the mistakes that I have made have been because I have tried to move too quickly. I have been so energized by the mission, right? By trying to actually help improve lives uh, that you want it to all happen right now. Yeah, those are the times I've made my biggest mistakes. There is a book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich that talks all about having faith and trust in what you're doing and knowing you're doing the right thing in a good way and that in the long run, the results will come. And you said something a few minutes ago, the word balance came up. And this is a really specific question I thought might be good because you said something earlier uh, in your kind of intro that I wanted to just kind of get your thoughts on. And that is that idea of as a business owner, whether it's nonprofit or not, balancing mission and margin. So I bring this up because I know there's entrepreneurs out there listening. And for instance, I coach a lot of other career coaches and resume writers who Hmm. want to grow their businesses and they struggle. Coaches really specifically struggle with this idea of I became a coach to serve, but not embracing the business side of it and thinking about the fact that you can be mission minded and make money at the same time. So what I would say, how have you approached that very delicate balance, especially in a nonprofit? And what advice do you have to others who are maybe trying to figure that out? I think it is a mindset, first of all. And I also just want to say, I recognize that not everyone works in a context in which that's possible. So if you're like toiling inside large company, large company doesn't really have a purpose, uh, a a broader mission, you know, you have a very particular job, then it's, there's opportunities to find ways to do more mission oriented things outside of your job, right? And that's perfectly okay. But when you have your own business, you really do have the opportunity to infuse your own values um, into it in a unique way. And listen, everyone's got to eat. That was exactly what I was going to say. Right. And this is not suggesting that you should want to make less money or do less well financially for the sake of mission. Now, some people are into that and that's awesome. Right. But, you know, first you've got to make sure you have enough to be able to actually do the job in the first place. So then it's thinking about, well, how could I infuse my values? Could I'll use the coaching example. Um, um, Could I make an effort to reach out to communities or to people who really could benefit from coaching, but didn't know there was such a thing, right? Or would, you know, didn't know how to find one. Um, Could I um, once a month or once a quarter decide I'm going to do a pro bono session for one person who couldn't maybe afford it otherwise? Um, Could I train others off of the books, if you will, so that, you know, other people can then train yet more people who, again, might not have um, access uh, to me or to my services. I, I think there's many ways um, to do it. And ultimately, it's about what's important to you, what's workable for you in your own financial life. Um, you know, I think it um, but I but I do think that 
people who are self-employed um, really have a particularly unique opportunity. I, I agree. And I think you you hit the nail on the head with you can't help anybody if you are dead and you, you're going to be dead if right. you not pay yourself to be able to put food on your table. And so there is an idea of kind of balance there that you can do good work and get paid for it if you're helping people, giving them the value and generating solutions and create time for yourself to go do that stuff that feels, whether it's volunteering, whether it's serving an underserved population, you know, you can do good mission-minded work and make money and then leverage that flexibility to serve like other people who really, really like fill your cup. So I agree that there's a lot of different, different ways to achieve it. And to kind of go to something you and I were talking about before we started recording is this idea of taking care of ourselves so that we can serve. So mm -hmm. you have to also find this balance within your own self. And you've done some interesting kind of research about like physical health, mental health, mental health, even how finance comes into that, taking time off in that whole little world. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I, I think there's a very significant connection between financial health and one's physical and mental health. And it's bi-directional. So we all know the example of someone who gets sick or breaks their leg or needs a surgery and the medical bills themselves really challenge someone's financial health. Um, and, you know, we, we all know that medical uh, expenses are the uh, biggest primary form of bankruptcy, primary number one form of bankruptcy. Yep. But it yeah. also goes the other direction when your financial health is challenged. First of all, you tend to have a lot of stress about it. Right. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to send my kid to college, uh, et cetera? How am I going to fill the gas tank this week? And that stress is really bad for you physically and mentally. I think we all get how it's bad mentally, um, but it actually has an impact cellularly on your physical health. And so just having financial stress alone is going to impair your physical health. And then think about someone who's got a chronic illness like diabetes, as an example, if your financial health is challenged, you may not be able to afford fresh fruits and vegetables or other kinds of food that are better for your diabetics diet. Or you may really have to make trade-offs between your rent and your insulin. Um, those are real. Those are real choices that people, millions and millions of people out there are facing every day. Um, and so you get this pernicious negative spiral, regardless of whether it starts with a financial challenge or a physical or mental challenge. Um, and once you get into that spiral, it can really be very difficult to get out. So I guess let's say there's somebody out there listening who's like, oh, man, Jennifer just hit my pain point. What is one small step forward to begin breaking the cycle or get out of that spiral? So I really want to be humble here first and say that for folks who are listening, who are really severely challenged either with their health challenges um, or with money challenges, like I feel you and um, I'm not a financial coach or a financial planner by training. Um, but I think that in general for everyone trying to deal with your medical debt by going and talking to the source of that debt, there's often charity care, other kinds of things that your, your health provider can, can actually provide that they should have asked you at the beginning, but didn't, that may be the very first step. And I think the other thing is 
trying to find work that provides you the benefits that um, are sufficient to be able to meet your needs. Not everyone has that luxury. I totally understand that. And we're doing a lot of work with employers to make sure they understand that financial health is a big part of their responsibility to their workforce. And whether that's paying folks a living wage, whether that's making sure that they have uh, medical benefits that they can afford, whether that's providing them with financial coaching, like these are all things that we're working on. So I think that at a micro level, um, I would really encourage folks in those situations to seek out a, a financial coach or a financial planner who can help. There are a lot of free resources, nonprofit organizations that do this work. Um, I think one thing that I do, I'm incredibly fortunate. I'm healthy. Um, uh, financially, I have what I need. Uh, but the one thing that I really focus on is how do I take care of myself to avoid or reduce the stress that I feel, whether it's from work or from everyday life. Um, and I've learned a lot about that um, by taking a couple of sabbaticals. Well, and perfect. You went exactly where I was going because there's this idea of on one side, if you're not in the financial position that you want to be in, take a step forward, go seek the expertise in order to improve it. And like Jennifer said, there's tons of free resources out there. But on the flip side, if you're like, okay, my financial health is fine, but I am on the brink of burnout and my mental health is suffering. There's also activities you can do there to kind of, I would say, recover, repair, restore. And that's where this idea of this sabbatical kind of comes in. Cause we were talking about this at, at the beginning, especially because there's these, all these, um, preconceived notions that I can't take time off. And what am I going to put on my resume? I can't have a gap. And that, um, I think we've moved into an era where some time off and some, some attention to your mental health is, is much more acceptable. I would love to, to hear a little bit more about how, how taking that time for yourself has impacted your overall health, well-being and picture. So I was fortunate enough to take my first sabbatical a little over 10 years ago. I got three months off paid uh, from this job. And at the time, I was living the life of a, a traditional entrepreneur, uh, maybe a little older than a 20 something. You know, I had um, by that point, I had um, one child at home, uh, but I was working 24 seven and I was really exhausted and burned out. And this is be long before COVID. I, a, a colleague of mine, uh, a really almost like a coach of mine said, have you ever considered creating a sabbatical policy? You really could use some time off. So she really helped me to think about that. And at the time, my board thought I was crazy. They were, these were a bunch of bankers, like who gets a sabbatical, a professor, you <laughs> yeah, know, super traditional employment landscape right there for the financial yeah. sector. So yeah, and they was just revolutionary were, you know, for them. Yeah, they weren't, but, but, you know, God bless them. They, they went along. And, um, I did not do anything for that three months. I didn't travel. I didn't learn a new language. I didn't climb a mountain. Um, I just lived. I read, I read a dozen books, right? I worked out regularly. I redid the closet in my hall. I, um, you know, um, and it helped me remember what it felt like to not be stressed out and not to be working all the time. And literally I had forgotten. 
all, it's all about perspective. And so once you gain that perspective, it's just easier to see things more clearly. So when I went back to work, I immediately started doing things differently, both for myself and for the organization. I stopped working every night, all night. I delegated more. I immediately said, we're going to start closing the office between Christmas and New Year's. Some organizations had already been doing that. I'm like, everyone's already taking that week off anyway. It wouldn't it be beneficial if we all took it off at the same time, because part of the benefit of being off when others are off is that there's less that you're missing. You're not missing anything. Exactly. Right. And I created a sabbatical policy for everyone in the organization. Uh, and I started really talking about the importance of sabbatical as a concept. I coached some other people at other organizations who went on to take sabbaticals. It was really fulfilling. And then it was time for me to take my next sabbatical. Our policy is every eight years. And what was, and I, I had it all planned out and then COVID hit. So I canceled it and I finally had the opportunity to take it last year. So I took two months off last year and I spent a portion of that time walking a portion of the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is an ancient pilgrimage route. So I walked 130 miles in 11 days. And again, it was just this unbelievable experience of uh, starting from the, oh my God, I have to get through this every day to, no, no, no. Walking is my only job. This is what I'm here for. Walking isn't something I have to get through. It's what I'm here like to do. And, you know, after you kind of get used to it, it becomes like a walking meditation and you start to realize the beauty around you. You start to notice things you wouldn't have noticed. And, you know, that experience really helped me understand and appreciate the importance of being present. Um, and that's something we all can be working on all the time, every day. So it's not so much that now I'm magically present all the time, uh, but I can catch myself when I am not and reel myself back, like when I'm multitasking on a call uh, and I'm not really paying attention or those things all take a toll. And uh, so I'm really just focused on this moment right now. Like we're alive right now. Like, isn't that awesome? We're alive and we're doing this podcast and that's what we're doing right now. And like, yeah, it's pretty cool. It offers, it's almost like a reset to make you more aware of like, oh, wait, I'm kind of doing the thing. And I'm, I'm curious on how this has bled into the kind of, I would say, greater culture of the organization as you made this a policy. Like what have, how, what has it done to the, to the workforce? You know, I think that it helps us retain staff because when you get to that five, six, seven year mark where in some, for some people that might be an itchy time, you know, they can see the sabbatical coming. I think that those who take the sabbatical are like unbelievably appreciative and loyal and bring back new found perspective. And because it's something we talk about as an organization and we really value, like when you have time off, we want you to be unplugged. Like that's the expectation. I think it really helps demonstrate both our value of caring, but also um, that we really value uh, people as humans. And that even though the work we do is so important, it really is about improving people's lives. At the end of the day, if we're not fresh enough 
to do that work, we're not doing anyone any good. You know, it's an organization of people who are real strivers. We all want to do our best. We all want to do our best for the community. Uh, so it's not easy, right, to con- to always convince people or remind people, but it's mm-hmm. something we strive for. Well, and a lot of times important things aren't aren't necessarily easy, but they're necessary. And I think this is a really interesting kind of full circle conversation around that idea of like, balance is such a, 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 a kitschy word, a work-life balance. But if you really think about it, we don't have it and it's to our detriment that we don't. And, and there's a lot of steps you can take, I think, to improve that. And if you're a leader or manager or business owner who has a team, there's like, this is like real stuff you could really think about incorporating. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I can't afford to give my staff two months off paid, maybe you can't afford not to think about how much value you're going to get out of them when they come back. And if you're an employee who has a sabbatical available to you, take it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what we do is we, um, essentially expect people, it's a three month sabbatical. Typically I was only able to take two months last year, but it's typically three months. And one of those months is employees using their vacation and the other two months are given to them. So you could imagine something on a smaller scale. Hey, I'll give you a month and you contribute a week of vacation and I'll contribute three or right. There are lots of ways to do this that uh, don't have to cost as much, can be more realistic given the size of your, your business and the nature of the work that you're doing there. I would say another real advantage of sabbatical is the cross training that happens. Um, it's one thing when the CEO leaves, it's another when you've got, you know, each year, one or two people in different parts of the organization who are taken off. Uh, and, and there's a whole process that folks go through to be prepared and for others to be prepared. And, uh, that is a huge benefit. Uh, when, when I came back, there are things I just didn't pick up again and it's true for everybody. Uh, and other people feel, uh, it's a, it's a bench training, bench strengthening exercise. It's a training exercise. So I think there are a lot of other benefits to the, to the, to the business. The cross training upskilling piece is a really interesting component that I wouldn't have thought of, but it's totally true that now somebody has got to do that stuff for the month that you're gone. And if you can plan that in advance, it really works. And I love this idea that there's like you pushing forward to, to kind of like innovate in the culture space within an environment or or industry connection that really like this was totally, totally out of left field. And I'm going to take us on a complete left turn. And talk about uh, you have a podcast where you talk to people who are kind of innovating and doing some some cool stuff. Uh, so give everybody a shameless plug for that. I will. Um, it's called Emerge Everywhere. It's been going now for, I don't know, two or three years. I've lost track. Um, but uh, I essentially get to interview and talk to innovators across fields who are in some way really focused on trying to improve financial health, whether that's for their employees or their community or their customers, in some way they're doing something in that arena. And so uh, whether they're executives in HR or financial services or a lot of innovators, uh, fintech innovators I've interviewed, some politicians, some uh, nonprofit leaders, um, I've, I absolutely adore getting to 
uh, talk to people about sort of what makes them tick and uh, what they've learned from their experience. And honestly, it's, uh, it's a little bit for me, like getting back to my old journalism roots and it, uh, as much as I am very happy in the work that I do, I will always self-identify inside as a journalist. And so getting to have conversations like the one we're having now, um, are just incredibly intensely enjoyable for me. I love asking questions. Um, I love learning. And so it really feeds my feeds that part of me. I was thinking when we started and you were talking about your journalist roots that I was like, well, that comes into the podcast because basically you're on the flip side and get to kind of ask everybody why. And just so everybody out there listening knows, we will link to Jennifer's podcast in the show notes. You know, as we kind of start, I can't believe it's already time to wind things down. This went so fast, but I would love to know that in addition to the podcast, how can everybody else out there follow along in your journey and maybe get some of the resources that you're that you're offering to to everybody as as we kind of make these systemic changes? Absolutely. So our website is chock full. It's finhealthnetwork.org. Um, then you can follow me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Tesher. I'm kind of off Twitter. Uh, it's sort of a silent protest right now. Um, I was going to say, I bet you that's a rabbit hole we don't need to go down. <laughs> right. At, at Jen Tesher, I think is my handle. Uh, but yeah, LinkedIn in particular, I've posted quite a bit about my sabbatical uh, and other things like that. So, uh, or just reach out to me. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Jennifer and I are connected on LinkedIn, so you can go and track her down there. And again, we will link everything, uh, in the show notes at nomoremondays.info. And as we kind of close it out, I always love to end this with like one last tidbit of inspiration. So what in your life have you done to kind of combat those Sunday scaries and really embrace this kind of idea of no more Mondays? Uh, for me, it is just remembering that I am alive and that that is awesome. And uh, God willing, when I go to bed Sunday night, I'll wake up on Monday and I will also be alive. <laughs> um, and you will and, be present. Love it. And I'll be present. And literally, it's not about going to work on Monday. It's not. It's about being here on earth. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and so I try to keep that front of mind. And I think we also lose sight of that as like, oh, I'm here. I'm alive. I have, if you're listening to this, you probably have a roof over your head and clothes on your back and you had breakfast. Think a lot, a lot you're going your way the minute you walk up on Mondays, wake up on Mondays and it can be easy to focus on what isn't there or what you don't have instead. And I think that, uh, hey, I woke up this morning. I'm going to be present to whatever comes my way is an amazing kind of idea and perspective to start every day, regardless of whether it's Monday or the other six. Exactly. Exactly. Jennifer, I love what you're doing. I love that we, we actually got to hear it. So everybody out there, if you've ever said, oh, I'd love to change this big, giant, onerous problem, but I'm only one person. Yeah. You listen, go listen to this episode again, because <laughs> Jennifer's living proof that you can be one person and it might take a while. However, you can create systemic change while finding a way to balance mission and mindfulness and margins and not killing yourself in the process. And so uh, I think that I hope this conversation is an opportunity for you to kind of take stock in where things aren't really aligned in your life 
and be more present to that and figure out how, how you fill it and how you fill your own cup. So Jennifer, you gave inspiration across a lot of different areas of life. And I hope everybody out there will take it to heart and do something about it, act on it. And I appreciate you for being here, sharing your story and joining the No More Mondays movement. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm so excited. Thank you so yes. much. I love the conversation. Yes. Awesome. Likewise, um, this has been really just uh, also for me, like uh, I think a lot of you don't realize, like I get a lot out of these conversations too, and always gives me food for thought because we love hearing from people who have navigated their own career crossroads and changes and have a perspective to share that can help others do the same. So I hope all of you took notes, got some inspiration. And uh, for those of you out there listening, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays wherever you get your podcast and leave us a five-star rating so we can continue to bring these stories. Podcasting is a lot of work and people like Jennifer and I are committed to it. You liking us and leaving ratings is actually a huge, huge help. If you want to leave comments, feedback, or drop a guest suggestion and grab the notes from today's episode, visit us online at nomoremondays.info. And I will see you next week for another episode of the No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com. 